0: We're gonna jump into uh, Matthew 10 tonight. So we've officially gotten out of Matthew 9. Woohoo! Yes! There's, this is good, you guys. This is good. A, we did nine chapters in one year. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> okay. All right, good. Uh, so we're gonna be jumping in there and uh, we're gonna be going through Matthew 10 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you got your Bible app, whatever it is, jump in there, Matthew 10, verse 1. I'm actually going to jump down to verse 5, but let me give you kind of what is happening in verses 1 uh, through 4 so you kind of understand the context a little bit. So here's what's happening, is uh, Jesus has 12 disciples, which you're probably familiar with, and um, and these disciples have been following him around, they've been learning from him, they've been observing what he's about, they've been kind of understanding his message and understanding who he is and, and what he's able to do and what he came to do, and so as they're following Following him around, um, they, they are, they're kind of absorbing everything that he is, and, and then he gives them a charge, and he says, okay, you've seen what I've been up to, you've seen the ministry that, I've, uh, that I have brought, and I want you now to go and do what I did. Okay, so he says, you guys have been my disciples. You've learned from me. Now it's time for you to go out and for you to do the same thing that I have been doing, which entails a lot. And we're gonna find out exactly what that entails. And he gives us some instructions. And so in verse five, it starts and it says this. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And so right here, we kind of see the main theme. We see it in verse 1, if you read there. And then in verse 5, we see it says that um, Jesus has a mission. Not only did he have a mission for himself here on earth, but also he gives all of his followers a mission. And the mission can summarize, be summarized as this, to go out, right? To go out. And we're going we're gonna to figure out kind of what exactly that means. But he gives them instructions of what going out means, and going out is really giving this message, that, that man has been separated from God because of this thing called sin, which is a, a rebellion against God, and that we can be reconciled or be in a relationship with God and be forgiven by him through the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made. And so we're going we're to gonna kind of jump into that a little bit further on, but first let's talk about the instructions of the mission. If you're paying attention and you read here, the first thing that he says is instructions for people who are going to go out and uh, proclaim the gospel, it's kind of weird, is he says, I want you to go to the Jewish people first. Wait a minute, that, time out. What's that all about? And, and what he's saying here is um, it has to be understood within the context of the whole Bible story. And so the Bible is not in itself um, a a book that one person wrote, and that you can read it and go, oh, okay, yes, I understand what the author, now, it is all inspired by God, but it's multiple, multiple authors over 1,500 years, and so it's going to be a ton of different stories compiled in, so it's more like a library than it is a storybook. And uh, although the, there's an overarching story and it's God's redemptive story of mankind, we have just so many perspectives and we have to get kind of the big picture of what's happening. And so what's happening here is that God has chosen a a group of people. In fact, he, he raised up this guy named Abraham, and through him, he is going to bless the entire world, and that eventually becomes the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, God reveals things about himself, and then through Israel, that's going to be uh, kind of communicated and seen through the rest of the world. And so if we see God's big picture of him bringing humanity back to himself, we see that Israel is uh, first and foremost how he's going to do that. And so a part of the story of Israel is not only that they have this unique relationship with God, but God has made them specific promises, one of which is that there's going to be a Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to uh, be the true king, he's going to rule over Israel and the rest of the world, and he's going to bring peace, and he's going to bring salvation. And so the Messiah that was promised to Israel for hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, they get to hear the gospel message that the Messiah has come first. Now, that doesn't exclude everybody else, but he says, first go and tell them about the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And then he also says something else here. In verse 6, he says, and go, uh, go rather to the lost, and this is important terminology, sheep of Israel. Now, I don't know if you've had um, much interaction with sheep before. I have not. Okay, I've not hung out with a whole lot of sheep, but here's what I understand about sheep: is the people who would be hearing this, um, if they were not shepherds themselves, they at least understood sheep. And what was really being said by Jesus, and this is kind of shocking, is um, that sheep are extremely stupid. Okay? Sheep are dumb. Sheep will just wander off and fall off the side of the cliff. They'll eat things that they're not supposed to. And so when Jesus says the sheep of Israel, he's not just talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about all of humanity. And so what he's saying is he's calling us all sheep. And in one sense, it's good because he's our shepherd. He's there to guide us. And in another sense, it's kind of a problem because he's really saying, you guys are kind of dumb, right? You guys are kind of stupid. And here, look, there's not a whole lot of things in life that I'm convinced of, but there are a handful of things. And I will tell you one of the things that I'm most convinced of in life is that people are stupid, okay? This is something that I, it is affirmed in my life every single day, whether it's through me or mostly through observing people. Okay, this is not in my notes, but this is a freebie. So yesterday, this is just another example of stupid people. Uh, yesterday, I was driving my kids. The road is where you see a lot of stupid people, right? They think like the glass hides my stupidity. No, it doesn't. I still see you. And so I'm, dry, I'm pulling out of my in-law's driveway because it was my father-in-law's birthday, and so we go over and have breakfast, and they have this really, really steep driveway where you have to kind of gun it to get to the top, and then you stop, and then you look to see if there's traffic behind you. And so I gun it, and then I'm stopping at the top, and this guy comes in this uh, Mercedes, and he is on the horn, just laying on the horn. I'm like, well, bro, relax, you know, like I see you, chill. And, and then he makes this move he parks kind of behind me and then like tries to uh, kind of like, so that I can't move. And then he puts his car in park and he gets out and I'm like, okay, I'm a Christian, but like, hey, I mean, if we have to, let's do this. You know, like we'll call it self-defense in the name of the Lord. I don't know, but let's do this. And so he gets out of his car and this is great. And I don't know, I don't know what this guy was thinking. I'm not an intimidating guy. I'm not a like, but this guy was maybe 135 pounds with hair down to his waist. And I went, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. And so he must have thought I was like a grandma or something because he was acting real big. And then he gets out of the car and, and then he sees me. And again, I'm not scary or anything. He goes, yeah, all right, see ya. And he's like, that's unexcused. And then he just gets out and leaves. And I'm like, I'm all hyped up now. Let's go, you know, let's do this. And he goes and he had a pink license plate. And I went, well, that explains it. And so then he just, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But he goes, and I'm like, just another reminder on a daily basis of just people are dumb. We just walk around doing stupid things. If a camera was on any of us, we all do dumb things. And so Jesus goes, look, you're dumb. I get it. But you can't be mad at a sheep, right? You just can't. You can't be angry at a sheep. They're dumb. They fall off cliffs. They eat things they shouldn't. But I can't be mad at you, you know? Like, have you ever seen someone just like, oh, I'm so disappointed in that sheep? No, right? Because for some reason, when you look at sheep, you go, they're dumb, but they're lovable anyway. And that kind of gives us, in a weird perspective, kind of how God sees us. Jesus goes, look, I'm your shepherd, you're sheep, you do stupid stuff, but I love you anyway, kid. That's kind of what he's saying here. All right, continues on in verse 7. Uh, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this is theologically loaded right here, is the kingdom of heaven um, is this concept in the scriptures in which we have these dueling kingdoms we have the kingdom of the world and then we have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world is the is where we are all born naturally that's our natural disposition and it's where we say we don't want god we want to be the rulers of our own lives we want to be our own authority and we're going to live by our own per- desires and so uh, here, Let's get political. Uh, I was watching right before service um, these speeches that some of these celebrities gave, uh, the, the women's march thing, and I'm like, yeah, I'm all about women's rights. That's awesome. Yes. However, some of the things that they were saying was just like, that is a, that's crazy because what you're saying is, I am the ultimate authority of my life. No one can tell me what to do. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Um, that would be the sin of Adam and Eve, is that I am autonomous, that I can do what I want, I can be what I want. And, and uh, th- that's what the scripture says the kingdom of the world is all about. And Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 no. There are two kingdoms in the creator of the heavens and the earth is bringing his creation back under him. And oh, by the way, that's me. And I will be the kingdom or I will be the king of this kingdom. And so you have a choice to make. You can either either live in the kingdom of now, the kingdom of the world, or you can live in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You get to decide, will you live under my rulership in which you bow down and all the different arenas of your life come under my authority. That means your sex life, that means your money, that means your time, that means every area of your life comes under my authority, or you can live in the kingdom of the world in which you are in charge. However, there will be consequences, and he will talk about that. But right now, we live in a time in which we get to make that decision. What kingdom will we live in? Will we live in our own kingdom, the kingdom of now, the kingdom of the world, or will we live under his rulership? He says, if you live under my rulership, you will become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then he kind of gives us a charge as citizens. He says, not only are you a citizen that is supposed to reflect to the rest of the world what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, but I want you to also be an ambassador. I want you to be a citizen who is living in a a foreign country, yet is is a part of another nation. And I want you to reflect that nation to the foreign nation. Are you following? Is this making sense? It's deep. I get it. It's deep. Okay, Uh, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. And so this is supposed to be how we're going to accomplish the mission that he has given us. And it can be summarized really in two words. It's, it's word and deed. And so word is the proclamation and teaching of the gospel message, that Jesus has come and that he offers salvation. But then there's this other part which it describes, which is the deed which is serving the poor and healing the sick. And so that's part of what we're called to do is we're supposed to be proclaimers of the word and then we're also supposed to be going out there and changing the world in actual physical, tangible ways, which is why we do all these service projects. And if you look at... um, you know, church history or even the history for the last 2,000 years around the world, you will see that the reason why people have, um, uh, have received physical healing and why there's been hospitals and there's been doctors going into foreign lands is because of Christians. Christians are the ones who go out there. Christians are the ones who say, you know what, I'm okay with facing death to help these people because that's part of what I was put on this earth to do. That's part of the mission that I was given. But there's this other part that, for us, I think, as Western, you know, post enlightenment people, we look at this and we go, "Is this analogy of some sort?" It says, "Heal the sick and raise the dead." I haven't seen many of those lately, or cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. There's a part of us that go, "Wait a minute! That's talking about the supernatural. That's talking about the miraculous." And if you're like me, um, you would probably intellectually affirm that miracles happen. However, experientially, in your heart, you go, I don't really know. You know, I'm sure it has happened before, but I'm not, I'm not convinced of it. Let me just challenge us a little bit, because this is the boat that I'm in. Or maybe you're just like, no way, miracles don't happen. Is there, and I've researched miracles, and I'm trying to understand miracles. And um, after my friend Nabil was here, and, and he's... Uh, been kind of talking about miracles because he's, you know, praying for one in his own life because he has um, stage four stomach cancer, and so he's praying for miracles, and it's gotten me thinking more about it. And there's tons of documentation. There's a great book called, uh, by a guy named uh, Craig Keener. It's like thousand pages on miracles and documented miracles and all that kind of stuff. But let me give you a more practical example. Is I think that the miraculous, um, there, there's different types of miraculous. There's this, this. Uh, uh, this, uh, it, it's like this it, the miraculous in the which there's no explanation, like raising from the dead, in which you go, that is insane. But then there's the miraculous that uh, is spiritually miraculous. Let me see if I can make sense of this. Is the other day, um, I had coffee with someone who is an atheist, and it, it was a friend of a friend, and they said, hey, will you sit down with this person? He's got a lot of questions. He's thought through a lot of this kind of stuff, and I just don't have answers. Can you sit down with him? I said, I would be glad to. That would be fun. And so we sat there for about three hours, and we just talked about spiritual things. We talked about God, and we talked about Jesus, and we talked about science and philosophy and all this fun stuff. And I realized something, is the miraculous happens before our very eyes if we're, if we're willing to pay attention. Because I talked about last week that all of us are born spiritually blind. And so if you saw someone go from being blind to being able to see, you would say that is miraculous. The same is true spiritually. When you see someone who is blind to who Jesus is and now worships Christ, you have seen miraculous things take place. The scripture would say that is a miracle that that has happened. And so as I'm I'm having a conversation and I'm watching this guy's attitude change before my very eyes, I'm going, this is miraculous. We sat down at the beginning of this conversation and he's like, I don't think there's a God. And by the end of it, he goes, yeah, this is crazy, man. You really got me thinking about like, and he's just putting the pieces together in his life and it's just like, he's just starting to see and he's going, oh my gosh, you're right. And that, oh my gosh, that can't just be chance and that can't just be chance. And oh my, and he's putting these pieces together and I'm seeing someone who is spiritually blind slowly get to see more and more of who Jesus is. I think one of the reasons why we don't, we have a hard time with miracles, especially these kinds of miracles, is because we haven't gotten ourselves out there, which is one of the reasons why Jesus challenges us to get out there and to go, because it's not only great for the person whom you're sharing your faith with, but it's, it's good for you as well, because it reminds you of why you believe. It reminds you of the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Sometimes we get insulated in these Christian communities and, and we have our Christianese and we do our Bible studies and all that kind of stuff's great. And then we are surrounded by Christian people all the time and then it becomes kind of mundane. And it's only when you get outside that bubble and you start to talk to someone and you start to talk about their life and the reality that they live in and you go, oh yeah, that's why I believe this. Oh yeah, that's why my faith and my worldview is profoundly different than everybody else's. And so sharing our faith, going out there, getting out there, and being on mission is not solely for their benefit, but Christ understands it's for ours as well. Verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. So this really challenges the American dream a little bit here is Jesus challenges us and he says, listen, um, Christians should be so free from the attachment of stuff, should be so free from materialism, that at the drop of a hat, you are willing to go anywhere that God calls you to go. Now this, I got to be honest, the older that I get, the more difficult this becomes. Because when you're 20, you have nothing, right? You're like, Easy, where do I gotta go? Oh oh my gosh, I have to give up my parents' house? That's horrible, you know? Like, what do I have to lose, you know? But as you get older, this becomes more and more challenging because as you acquire more things and you get more comfortable in your situation and in in, in your lifestyle, this becomes increasingly difficult. And so as young people, we have an opportunity to decide right now before we are blessed with whatever we're blessed with in our life to say, you know what, God, whatever you give me, I'm willing to let go no matter what. Because I don't want to be attached to things. Because when money has power over you, you no longer have the freedom to be able to pursue what God has for you. You no longer have the freedom to just say, God, lead me, and then actually go. Because you're anchored down to things. Now, don't get me wrong, having money is not, and having stuff is great. I think God does bless us with that. But He wants us to hold it with an open hand and go, God, here. It's yours. Whatever you give me, I open, I have an open hand. You can take it anytime you want. And we can't just verbally say it. We actually have to believe it on our heart. Because for many years, and I still struggle with this, for many years, I'm like, God, it's yours. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, like, oh yeah, it's totally yours. I got it. (laughs) You know, like, and it's kind of, that's kind of stupid if you think about it. Have you seen that commercial where it's the insurance commercial and the the guy's like fishing and he's got the thing, he's got a dollar bill and he dangles it in front. He's like, oh, uh uh That's kinda of how I think about it. Okay. But here's the problem though. And I think this is at the core of the issue, is Jesus talks about wealth not because money is a bad thing. What is money really? It's numbers in a bank account, it's some paper with some dead people's faces on it. Like money is not an evil thing in and of itself. It's what money does to us is the issue. Of course, it causes greed and it causes envy, um, but it also causes this other thing, which is called self-sufficiency, in which we believe that we don't need God any longer, that we don't actually have to rely on him because our needs are met. We're comfortable You know, we're not praying for a meal. We're not looking for a place to sleep. We're not praying because we have some health issues that cannot be, we're really pretty self-sufficient or at least we have the illusion of it. And so money really convinces us that we are in charge of our own lives. And this is just an illusion. And we know this because once in a while we'll get hit with something and we'll go, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter how much money I have. I can't take care of that problem or "I I can't bring that person back. This is, I am not actually in control, but it gives us the illusion of self-sufficiency. And ultimately, it can't provide the things that we really want. Is we really want satisfaction, we really want hope, we really want meaning. And money is not going to bring us those things. And if you don't believe me, look at the wealthy celebrities. Do you look at them and go, yeah, they got it together, man. That's all good for you. You really, oh my goodness, you're really doing it, aren't you? No, I look at them and go, oh my gosh, I would not allow you to drive my car, okay? You're you're a crazy person. It's because money doesn't provide the things that we're truly looking for. And so the question that I think this is supposed to stir within us is, if God called you to give up all your material wealth, not just right now, because I get it, and that's not a big sacrifice, but all the material wealth that you could have one day, All the hopes and the dreams that you have, he says, no, I want you to live a completely different life. Are you willing to do that? And that's a tough, Amy and I were just talking about this the other night and and we were talking about, we just love where we live and we love our neighbors and our kids are making friends and all this kind of great stuff. And and Amy's like, you know, I just, I hope we live here forever. And I said, yeah, I do too, but like, we got to be okay with if God calls us somewhere else. And I don't anticipate that, I don't ever expect that to happen, but I said, Amy, we have to and it's hard. Look, I'm I don't have I am not there, but I want to be there is is Amy, we have to live here and be okay with if God calls us away tomorrow. To go to some other country. I'm like, if we go to Guatemala, she's like, I like Guatemala. I'm like, okay fine, Africa. I don't know, whatever, you know? She's like, I'm like they don't whatever. Anyway, okay. Verse eleven. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. This is crazy. This is, gonna, this is weird. Okay, 12. As you enter the, ho- the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone, this is crazy. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. And so to give you a little context is observant Jews within that day, um, they would go into Gentile towns or homes, and when they left, um, they would brush the dirt off, kind of saying like, you are unclean. It's kind of Jay-Z, you know, okay, you get it, right, As, is they would brush the dirt off signifying, um, I leave you because you are unclean. What Jesus is saying here is that there are going to be certain people who are open to the gospel, who really want to receive that message, And then there's going to be other people who are not open to it at all. Maybe because either they're just closed off right away or they're playing games or whatever. And he says, you need to lean into those people who are open and willing to hear the gospel message. And then you just need to shrug off the people who are not. Now, this sounds harsh, but it makes sense. Kyle, actually, um, he said this years ago, and I've always remembered it. Um, Kyle Kurtz, who works in our our high school department, he said... um, He said, there are certain kids in which I will invest in, and I want to invest in all kids, but you just see that they're just not willing to to learn. They're just not willing to to actually be serious about their faith. He says, eventually, it's kind of like me investing in a bank. If they keep wasting my money, I'm going to stop investing in that bank. He says, the same thing is true with my time. I can only invest in a certain amount of people. If they keep wasting my investment of time, I have to stop. And that, that for me, made a lot of sense. I go, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you know, um, you have to, in discernment, figure out who are the people that are going to be most open to the gospel. And this is hard, and this is going to take prayer. And you're supposed to lean into those people. And the people who are not open to it, we still love them, we still care for them, but we just go, you know what? I'm not going to uh, waste my time and energy presenting something to you that you have no interest in hearing. Verse 15, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now this is crazy. Let me explain here what's happening is Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're not familiar with it, is a town in the Old Testament in which a story takes place where there is a lot of sexual immorality and God judges and then punishes that town by raining fire upon it. It's a problem. And so all these people are destroyed in this town. And what Jesus is saying here is extremely humbling because he's saying if there are people who are uninterested and reject the message of Christ but have been presented with that message, their punishment and judgment is going to be worse than the town of Sodom and Gomorrah of what they experienced with fire and sulfur raining down on their head. Jesus is getting pretty nasty right here. And here's what this means. It means that um, when we hear the gospel message, no matter who we are, when we hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we are either being blessed or cursed in that moment. We're either being blessed because we're hearing about salvation, we're hearing about how to be reconciled with God and the more that we know about God, um, the closer hopefully that we can get because we're, we're, we're actually engaging and we're actually activating our faith and we're following the commands that he gives for us and so we are incredibly blessed the more that we can know about Jesus and closer we can grow with him. However, if we hear the message of Jesus and we reject him, then we are setting ourselves up for condemnation. He says that the more light that you have, the greater the judgment and punishment will be. And so yesterday I was listening to this podcast, and um, I like to try to stay up to date on some of the the, kind of the debates that are happening within the the Bible world, and so I'm listening to a podcast between an atheist who studies the Bible for a living, he's a New Testament critic, and then a, a Christian who also studies the Bible. And the atheist is trying to explain why Jesus uh, is not historic, uh, the figure of Jesus is not historically reliable. And so they're going back and forth, they're arguing, they're arguing. And I was just reading this verse and I went, that atheist better hope that he is wrong. Because he has spent his entire life learning about Jesus, knowing more about the Christian faith than you and I will ever know about the Bible. If he is wrong, that is a serious problem. Because Jesus is saying here, the more light you have and, and you reject it, the more judgment you will also receive. I mean, how much more light do you want than having a lifetime of study of the Bible and rejecting? I thought that is a serious problem. But it's also for us too, is he's trying to put this up as, as a warning, is we are spiritually culpable for what we do and what we know. So you understand the idea of culpability in like legal terms? is like you are more culpable, you have degrees of culpability depending on um, like your age and your knowledge and things like that. And so the reason why we punish uh, adults more severely than children is because they're more culpable, right? They have more understanding. Well, the, he's saying the legal process in which we all agree to and it makes sense to us that you're, you're more culpable as you get older is true the more that you know about Jesus, You're more culpable the more you know about Christ. And so if you really put this in like real practical terms, you, by being here tonight, are putting yourself in extreme danger. Really. Because you're sitting here listening to the Bible, being taught, you're listening to Jesus and his words. And so if you walk out of here, you're either going to be blessed because now you get to progress in your faith and become closer to him, or you are setting yourself up for a harsher punishment that's terrifying, right? That is, I was reading it and I was like, oh, oh I just shut this, you know? Like, but I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's cool. I'm, I'm, Jesus, we're, we're good. Um, but really, that's what he's saying. The more light that we have, the more judgment that we have. And this is also kind of alluding to, and I know people ask about this all the time, is like, are there different degrees of hell and things like that? And and there's no clear-cut answer, but the Bible seems to allude to, yeah, um, there's different levels of judgment, that some people are going to be judged more harshly than other people. And we don't like this idea is whenever we start talking about a God who has wrath and judgment and punishment, all of us kind of squirm a little bit, rightfully so, but we're always like, but like, he's totally loving, you know? Like, that's the God that I like. Like, he loves me <laughs> just the way I am because I'm awesome, and so he's great. Um, anyway, no, that's a voice. It just comes out sometimes. I can't help it. Uh, I don't know where it comes from. Where was I? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Okay, so we hate this idea, especially as, like, moral relativists here in America in which everybody can believe what they want to believe and they can think what they want to think and what's okay for you is okay for you. And so, like, we can't imagine that there's a God out there who would, like, be disappointed in us. And then Jesus comes along and he goes... Oh no, there's some, there's some stuff coming. Like it's about to get serious. See, we think that when we read the Old Testament, we're like, ooh, that God, he's angry. But Jesus, he's a lot nicer. Maybe you don't understand Jesus very well. Because although Jesus is completely loving and extremely compassionate and the best moral teacher and most compassionate person that has ever walked the face of this earth, he also is the person that introduced in, uh, with clarity the concept of hell and judgment and punishment. So don't skip over that part, because he wants to give us a heads up. And there's a part of us that, although we hate this idea that God could judge us and that he would be disappointed in us, we can't live without the concept of justice, is we desperately need justice. Even though we hate it for our own lives, we want it for everybody else is if you've ever um, watched one of these documentaries, and I had the chance to go there, is where you see these kids who are made into child soldiers by warlords, and this happens all over the world, but specifically in parts of Africa, and you hear about the atrocities that take place, where they're taken from their families. Some of them are made to murder their own parents, and they're uh, turned into sex slaves, or they're turned into child soldiers, and just the horrible things that happen to these children. And the the warlords never have anything, any punishment. They just walk away. They maybe let the kids go, they kill the kids, whatever, but nobody ever tracks them down. In fact, you remember a few years ago, Joseph Coney, he's still roaming around just chilling. And he may never get any type of punishment for the horrible things he's done. And something in us says that can't be. He cannot go his entire life just ruining children's lives and, and killing them and then getting away with it. There is a sense of justice within us, and that's because we are made in the image of a God who is incredibly loving but also just. And so we know that there has to be justice, and we want justice. We want those kids, the crimes that were done against those kids to be paid for. However, when the justice comes to us, we don't like that idea. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 no. There will be judgment. Everyone will be judged. The way that you can come away from that judgment with instead of uh, punishment but, and get praise is if you know me or not. And see, it makes sense that we have to have this, this, this justice. And I think Jesus is trying to wake us up and say, listen, it's not all roses. You don't get to just walk through life without having to worry uh, about punishment in the end unless you know me, unless you know me. If you know me, you're gonna receive praise. here's the big picture. And I don't want us to lose this because I think when Jesus gets down into the details and he gets into the instructions of how we're supposed to go on mission, we kind of focus on the instructions and we forget about the mission. And so let me, let me kind of close with this is the big picture of this is that we are supposed to be people who are going, that our lives are supposed to be focused on the mission. There is no such thing as a consumer Christian. See, in America, we are consumers. We consume all the time, resources, time. We are consumers. And we also live in a society in which we think there are experts for every arena of life. Have you ever thought about this? There is an expert for everything. You probably have never fixed your car before. Why? There's an expert for that. I got an oil change yesterday. I didn't even get out of the car. Why? There's an expert for that. Like, here's my credit card. Yes, thank you for charging me an exorbitant amount of money. I will go ahead and take that. (laughs) Okay. Right? There's an expert for that. If your plumbing breaks, there's an expert for that. You want to remodel your house? There's an expert. Your parents, there's an expert for that. (laughs) Right? We can, there is literally, there's an expert that's going to tell you about politics. There's an expert that's going to tell you about everything in life. And so we believe that um, we live in an expert, a society of experts, and then that we also kind of apply that to evangelism. Well, that's your job, right? You're the expert. You know the Bible. You have the platform. You tell people about Jesus. And, and he, Jesus, says, no, 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 no. There is no experts only in this. This is an all play. This is something that everybody has to do. There is no professionals. There is no people that you can abdicate your responsibility. This is everybody who is a Jesus follower. He says that you are supposed to go out and mission. And um, here's what's interesting is, and I hate to make this about ourselves, but this is actually the way that God blesses us as well, is God blesses his people by sending them out into uh, places in which they're uncomfortable. And it's through that uh, going out that he blesses us. You look at the person of Abraham in the Old Testament. He says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to bless you. And you know how I'm going to do it? I need you to go and get uncomfortable. See, God always blesses us when we get out of our comfort zone and we follow him, when we actually do what he calls us to do. See, what makes this place great, specifically uh, this group, is, is that we exist because of the people here. Like, we don't have, like, a marketing budget that we, like, okay, we're going to go, and we're, like, super savvy, and we're, like, like ooh, okay, and then you go, oh, I must go there. That is incredible. I saw your Facebook ad, and I must be there, right? Like, one person, I think, has ever come here for that, and they didn't come back. The way that this place exists and it, it, how it grew from 15 people to 250 people is because of you, because People here in this room are on mission, and they say, we're going to go, and we're going to find people, we're going to tell them about Jesus, and then we're going to bring them into this community. That's the only way this exists. In fact, if you've ever driven here before, and you, and you have never been on this campus, you had no clue where you're going, because we don't have one sign that tells you how to get here, right? If you Googled it, and you're like, oh, okay, MapQuest, and you come in the front entrance, you'd be like, what the frick, dude? This is a racetrack. I don't even know where I am right now, you know? <laughs> like, this is crazy, The only way you even find the building is because someone brings you and goes, okay, you're going to drive around, and then, like, you're going to find a parking, and then, like, there's a random warehouse building, and that's yours. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) that's where you need to be. That's the only only way we exist. The only way you got in these seats is because someone was on mission and brought you here. And so that's what we are all called to do, is we're all called to be uh, on mission, to go out, to share, and then bring people into this community. So let me finish with this. Is, um, I found this book. I randomly found it this week. And it's uh, Celtic Prayers. And there's, uh, I find it fascinating because I love being able to see that people have, uh, over time, been thinking through and praying through some of the very things that I'm going through. And there's this cool connection with the past. And so there's this um, saint, St. Brandon brand then and he was supposed to be this saint that would sail around the world and he would go and he would uh, he would plant monasteries and then he would go and he would evangelize the different people groups and he lived in the 500s and so he is a, he he's an interesting character that I got to research but one of the prayers that I came across that he wrote I thought was just it really it really impacted me and I thought it was really cool so I want to I want to share it with you to close here's what it says it says I thank you for this, my God. I am a traveler and a stranger in the world. Like so many of your people before me, this is a sense of adventure, of openness to possibilities, abandonment to God, and expectation of fulfilling his will. I accept the responsibility. I'll hear and obey. And trust it is your voice I hear, the call of the spirit, the cry of the bird of heaven. It is a yes to risky living. The sea takes me where I do not know, but I gladly go, and I can only trust every word and say and obey. Let's pray. Lord God, um, first and foremost, I thank you for uh, this family, this church family here in which... uh, They're eager to to come and to worship and to hear you speak and and to to learn the scriptures, Lord God, so much so that they would go and instead of being cozy, they would get out into the rain and they would make it a priority. And I just love that, Lord God. I love that I get to be a part of this this community. And Lord, I just pray that you would take us to the next level. Personally, that you would take us deeper in our faith, but you would also uh, give us the strength to go. Many of us need to say for the first time that we are willing that we will go wherever you want us to go. That the answer is yes to risky living for you. And so, Lord God, I pray that this would, uh, this semester, would be one in which we get serious about our mission. That we get serious about going out and sharing this incredible message that we can be reconciled with the Creator of the universe. And so, Lord God. We're excited to see what you're going to do in our own lives and through us so that we may be able to see miraculous works of people who were spiritually blind and can now see. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray, amen.